This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 131. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I'm joined, as usual, by Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am never better. You didn't sound very excited there. That sounded sad. I'm <laughs> never better. Okay, maybe that was a bit extreme. <laughs> uh, hmm. I've not taken a nap today. I, I know you probably have. <laughs> I only it's getting have close like a to my bedtime, nap, which usually. is not my usual two hours. Uh, okay. So. okay. I am never better. How's that? Is that better? I liked it. Good, good. Much better. <laughs> All right. So I am so excited about today's show. You know why, Lisa? No, you didn't. <laughs> Because we get to answer some more questions from our listeners, and I love that. I think it's so fun. It is fun. All right. So what questions do we have today? You want to go ahead and kick us off here? Our first question comes from Mary Ann, who says, Good morning. I have started recording my projects and posting on my Facebook page. The problem I have is, unless I record everything as a time lapse, which is not ideal, I run out of memory fast, whether on my phone, iPad, computer, these things, these videos take up a ton of space. How do you and Lisa store your videos and file safely? I should note that I have tried a really good brand of external hard drive and DVD both, only to have my photos and videos slowly become corrupted already. Thank you for taking the time to read this and hopefully you know of a good solution to this growing problem. This is a good question, Marianne, and congratulations to you for taking the plunge and being vulnerable enough to start recording things and wanting to share your process. That's that's exciting. So here's the thing, though. I think that you're, you're meaning storage, I, I'm pretty sure, instead of memory. And I'm not sure what, you know, what you're using exactly. It sounds like maybe you're using your phone, you're trying your phone, you're trying your iPad, and then you're trying your computer. And it takes up a ton of space. So it looks like maybe I'm kind of reading between the lines. Maybe you've tested some things and you're finding that this is taking up a lot of, of digital space. It's taking up a lot of your hard drive or your storage capacity on your phone or, or tablet. Yeah, it's it's going to but here's the here's the thing about it. I would think through how you are going to store this long term and an ideal situation would be that you're not using your phone, that you're using some other device. So first you have to determine are you going to use a camcorder or are you using a DSLR that you're uh, using you know the video capability on or something like that, that would be the ideal situation where you're taking it from this device and then you're loading, you're copying those files over to your computer. Now, having an external hard drive is is fine. Um, you can you can do that and you can store things there for for a while. But here's the thing that you need to think through and you need to figure out, and not just you, Marianne, but anyone doing this. You have to have a workflow in mind, write it down if you need to, write out what your workflow is, and then stick to that plan. 
and decide ahead of time what, how you're going to do this. Okay, I'm going to take files from this device. I'm going to load them on my computer in this particular spot. And I mean, I'm very serious about this. Uh, the only way an IT department ever survives anything and, and uh, really retains any data is that they have a workflow in place and they have they have a system that they follow. And so that's what you have to do with your own business. You have to say, okay, I'm putting them on you know the local drive or wherever it is, wherever you're storing them under this particular for folder. Maybe it's prod folder. Maybe it's development folder or whatever. Maybe development before you edit the video. And then after you edit it, maybe you move it over to the prod folder, something like that. But you have to have some kind of workflow so you never get confused on where the raw file is prior to you editing that file. And then storing it and retaining it, there's a lot of different solutions that you could use uh, for doing that. You could zip these up, you can compress the files after you've used them, and you can store them on an external drive if you want to. But here's the thing to remember about that. If you're storing a file, by definition, you don't have a copy of the file until it's a redundant file. And so if you're storing it somewhere, that's just one instance of the file. If you also have that particular file backed up somewhere, that's a single copy. Benchmark that we really want to go up against is to have a three-way type of backup. The file itself, you want to have a local backup copy of the file, and then you want to have cloud storage of that file as well, if it's something that matters to you, if it's something that is meaningful to you that you want to retain. And so a backup storage for something in the cloud would be, you know, maybe you're using Amazon for that, maybe you're using Dropbox, maybe you're using Google Drive, you know, there's a lot of different storage capabilities or uh, storage options out there. Now, Amazon is set up for that. And there's a lot of other storage options that are really meant for video files, if you want to do that. Or you, I suppose you could just put it on, it's not the ideal thing to do, but you could put it just on uh, Facebook or YouTube or wherever the social media account is. That wouldn't be a good option, but it is an option. Uh, it's kind of hard to um, get your data back a lot of times whenever you're doing something like that. It's actually not. Well, that depends. Depends it, on if you're talking about getting something that is the same quality. Okay. See, that, it doesn't really degrade that or, much, though. And here's the Well, thing. it depends if you're talking about Facebook or you're talking about YouTube. Talking about that workflow is exactly what I do. And I you have so agree with John on that. You have to do that. Now, my first thing is if you are recording this and you're looking to a solution for this problem, obviously you're, you've you kind of tested the waters. You're serious enough about this that I would say go and spend, you can get a decent camcorder for $150 to $200. And that's what I started with. And that would be way higher quality than what I actually started with. But I started with one of those for recording everything. It recorded onto an SD card and you can get your SD cards onto on multiple different sizes. They're not terribly expensive now. Now, because I record so many hours, I don't record in time lapse. I adjust that later on. So I have multiple SD cards. And that way, when I fill up one, I can switch it out for the other and keep painting while I unload the used, the full SD card onto my computer. And I have a separate file on my computer where I, or folder where I keep everything that has not been developed yet. Exactly what John's talking about. It was funny for me to hear you talk about that, John. I'm like, whoa, this is actually kind of creepy. Yeah. Have you been watching how I work? Uh, <laughs> you're, no, that's how everyone ready. should. So, well, yeah. that's how you should do it. Yeah. So well, I'm just going to describe all of that in like action. 
actual practice. So yeah. you, I have my my folder where things have not been developed, where I keep dumping everything off my SD card when I dump it and then, re, you know, go back to filming. So once I go to edit, I usually will put all of those files into whatever computer program, put all of those individuals, because when you record them, it records into like 20, 30, depending on how much footage you have, into a bunch of different pieces. I then put them all together, process that video, and I store that because now I start getting into a, a situation where I don't have enough room on my computer. They take up, I've got 900 and almost 1,000 videos right now on YouTube counting the Patreon videos. And then those Patreon videos, which there's over a hundred of, are, you know, one to two hours long. That's a lot. Those are huge files. So I have two external hard drives now. One is full all the way. I think that one's just a one terabyte. It has my old, old videos. I have another external hard drive that is a four terabyte. And that is where I, I move everything. Once I've processed the video, it gets moved onto that external. Now, Ideally, I would be doing what John is saying and, and pay for a cloud service. The problem is I have too I have so much footage. I can't afford the cloud services well, I've looked yeah, the online storage is so expensive and I've Yeah, with Amazon cloud services though. I mean, it's pennies is what it is. I for, would for need the about amount. 6 terabytes to fill all much. my videos. I'll have to That's look into that because it may have changed. Yeah. I haven't looked in a couple of years. But what I'm doing right now is because every single video is on YouTube, if I need to get that video back, if I lose, if, you know, heaven forbid there's a fire or something like that, and I lose one of these external hard drives, I can download those again. Now, here's why that's not a good idea. One, as John was saying, it can be degraded some. Not a noticeable, not, not noticeable to most people in most situations. It absolutely will not be the same quality that you uploaded. Absolutely not. There are websites. You just go and put that URL in, and it makes it so that you can download any video. So it's yeah, very you can easy. rip it even with local computer programs as well. So, oh yeah, it is easy. It's just not the same quality at all. Yeah, it's really, really easy to do. But here's the downside. What happens? Let's say something happened, and your flag got flag or your account got flagged for copyright violation, got flagged for something, and you lost your account. All those videos are gone. So if you don't have another backup, that's where I'm like, okay, th that's kind of my, I've got my my external hard drives, but it is possible to have something horrible go wrong with my YouTube account at the same time that I lost my externals and I just lost everything. So yeah, this that's is where John's better off. What John's saying is a safer way to go to store it on Amazon or something like that in addition to. So I don't think YouTube is the, where I'm storing, you know, kind of using that as my backup. I don't think that's ideal, but it's better than nothing. It's better than, even if you put a video there and keep it unlisted, you still have the capability to download it again. So that's yeah. an option for you, but that's kind of what I do. And I, those external hard drives are must. Trying to record if there's no way, and I've got a decent cell phone. There is no way I could record comfortably an entire video or regularly record. I think when I recommend to people to use their cell phones to get started on recording videos, that's kind of to see if you enjoy the process. Do you enjoy making the video? Do you think this is something you're interested in? And if you are, go buy something that's dedicated for recording, whether that be a lot of people use a DSLR. I use camcorders. Um, and you can go to Best Buy or anywhere. I mean, they're 150 to 200 dollars for something that is def more than good enough for what you're doing. Um, and I would say you're definitely at that stage right now. Get yourself some some SD cards. I would say at least 64 gigabyte sized would be a good idea to start with. And you can get those really cheap on Amazon. I use a brand called PNY. 
you're gonna also probably want, if your computer's like mine and you've already filled it up, you're probably gonna want those external hard drives as well. Um, and you just plug those in through a USB cable. It's a little bit slower depending on the one you use and a few other things, but... I wouldn't recommend USB on that. If you're if you're going to use an external hard drive, and especially if you're um, worried about throughput and the speed at which you're saving and retrieving those files, then I would use SATA. Um, if you are going to use USB, then at least go with USB 3. Because it's just going to... Nothing's going to go faster than than that slowest spot and that slow spot is usb that will be your bottleneck and it'll make your save time your rendering of the videos very very slow so don't don't use usb unless that's all you have try to use sata um so the other thing about that is is that yeah if if your account does get if you get if you get a takedown or whatever and or get hacked delete even. You your don't even account have to do or get wrong. hacked or whatever then yeah you can go in there under another user and uh, rip all of your uh, videos and save all of those but here's here's the other Not thing if the about videos that. were all taken down by youtube well yeah if the videos that's are taken down that's a different if, thing if, but if you're locked flagged, out of your you account or something like that videos. and if other people have saved them in a playlist or something there may be ways of getting them back but yeah like lisa said that's not ideal um the ideal situation would be that you have a copy yourself uh label all of these things the right way and just remember whenever you're going into your editing program i mean if you're using premiere pro there's others that may not do it like this but i use adobe premiere pro and that's kind of a gold standard with video editing that's what i use for all of my videos inside the sharpened artist academy uh, and you can get more help more help and tutorials on using Premiere Pro than you can probably any other video editing program. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind why you would want to use it. It's non-linear, and so you're working with these digital files. One of the best things about it is you're using raw, uncut footage. You are putting pointers in the program back to the original files. So you just have links over to the files. So anything that you do, any of the editing that you're doing on the files, you're doing it in a non-destructive way. You're not corrupting the files at all. You're not destroying the files. You're just linking back to the original files. So the the point is, is that those files are raw files. They're uncompressed. They're not doing anything. They're going to stay in the format, the raw format that you brought them in at. So if your output is like an MP4 or something like that, the files themselves still may be in MOV or whatever they were in, and they're not, they don't have all the edits. Go ahead and just save the compressed files that you uh, edited, then those are much smaller. You probably film a lot of hours, and that, that's what I've been doing. I've got three cameras that I record at 1080p on each of those, and you know I make you know I make these videos for my Sharpened Artist Academy. If I've got these. SD cards that I'm loading into my computer, and by the way, label your SD cards, even if you have two, label which ones they are. Whenever you bring in those files, you wouldn't need to know which ones those are. Yeah, but, so you end up like me, where you've got 10 cards here, and you're constantly putting one in, checking it. Nope, not that one. Put in that, the next one in, and I cycle <laughs> yeah. through 10 every time I need a card. Yeah, yeah. Listen Just to label John. Them. He knows what and, he's talking put, about. What, I, what I've done is, I to simplify things, I'm not doing it because I'm so smart. I'm doing this because I don't want to think. And so what I've done is I've got like camera one, camera two, camera three. I'm real creative, aren't I? So I put on my SD card, camera one, camera two, camera three. And I don't vary that. I keep it the same um, regardless. And, you know, regardless of whatever happens, you know, and if I have to replace the card, I'm going to label it again, just exactly that 
particular card, you know, that uh, that went out or whatever. Oh, and by the way, replace your card every year, whether you think you need to or not. Um, it's a device that will go out. It will it will get destroyed on you. And you may be lucky. Um, you may have one that never got corrupted for five, ten years, but it's going to get corrupted someday. Replace your card just about every year, maybe maybe every two years, and you should be good to go. About with that. that time for me, I think that's going to be one of my next orders. Yeah, that you mentioned that because I'm probably on. Some I'm of probably these about three there years. too. I'm actually. So let me get back to that point, though. Once you've edited these videos and you've got done the encoding on them and then you're going and exporting those and it's compressing that file down to, uh, you know, a MP4 more than likely, an MPEG-4. And so once it's done that, just save that copy. The chances are that you'll need all that other footage, that hundreds of hours of footage or whatever it is, or 10 hours even if it's that. That's still a lot of data that it's taking up space on your hard drives and you don't, you don't need that. So that would be my recommendation with that. Your original footage before, like when you start getting to where you're not recording in time lapse, you're going to speed up your videos usually to put on Facebook or to put on YouTube. Keep a copy of where you have processed it. You've shrunk the file down. Keep a copy of the real time footage because I wish I have paintings I did years ago where everything was sped up for YouTube. Back then, you didn't want a video that was longer than two to five minutes. Five minutes was pushing it on YouTube at the time. So I've got the all of those, the paintings I still love, but I don't have the original footage. So I can't go and make a nice real-time video out of it for Patreon. And I just wish mm, yeah. I had kept some of the original. You never know when you, That's a good point. back then, I never would have thought, you know, I made the video, yeah. I'm done with it, I deleted it. And I yeah. so wish I had kept some of those. Some of those I've recently found, but only maybe five or six of the originals of some of the older ones. And I mm -hmm. wish I had all of them in the real time that I could share with people on Patreon. I mean, yeah, I can make the video over, yeah. or the painting over again, but I'd rather not. So keep the original footage. Don't just delete it thinking, because for me, the way that my my flow, how I, I process all this, I put the video so that it's one long video instead of having a whole bunch of little clips. I process that in real time, and then I shrink, I or I go through at that point and reprocess it again separately where it's shrunk down or, or sped up. But that original one, the first time of processing it, the files, I usually save it so it's smaller than what my original came off of the SD card, but it's still good enough quality to use. Yeah, just rough cut it all together. Yeah. I got you. You know, and, and here's the thing, uh, Marianne, this is just a good uh, springboard discussion that we're having here and talking really to a wider audience here. I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up and gave Lisa and I a chance to, to talk about this because it is something that everyone should be concerned about if you're doing videos or you ever want to in the future. And um, the thing, thing about it is it's so much cheaper now to do this than it ever has been. Yes. And storage, just it just doesn't hardly cost anything. Now, here's the thing. I'm using a business account with Google, and that costs me 10 bucks a month. Any alias emails that I have, like the podcast at sharpenedartist.com, that's an alias email. That doesn't cost me anything because I've, I've created an alias for it. Uh, but here's the thing. When you're doing that, I have unlimited storage. I, I don't have a cap on my storage. And so anything that I want to save over on Google doesn't cost me a penny. And I can, I can save video files, and I can save them uncompressed, the raw files over there. And so it doesn't cost me anything. I mean, other than the $10 a month, if you want to count that. Um, but I get so many more things with that. 
And so that is a good option, a very inexpensive option if you want to do that. But if you want to look at Amazon service web services, that's another very good one. That's a cloud uh, storage uh, solution, AWS, and they have it set up where it would only cost you pennies uh, to be able to use. It does take a little bit of technical knowledge to get that set up the right way, and so just keep that in mind. This question comes from Taylor, and she writes, Where does a beginner artist begin for portrait-specific drawings? This is an awesome question. I love this. I recently just released a free portrait prep course. Now, what I'm doing with these initial students in this course is, and we have nearly 400 students in the course. I'm really excited about that, but it's been a lot of fun. And what we're doing is we're going back to the basics because one of the things that I see tripping beginner artists up whenever they want to do portraits is the uh, proportions and the perspective often what happens is you know we're not thinking about this object model in the way that it really is in reality a head you know it doesn't have a flat surface but as a beginner often what we'll see is we'll see people just create like a box kind of surface so you've got a flat plane on the front of the face where the mask of the face is and then you have a a side plane you have a back plane and a Another side plane uh, where the you know where the ears are and the, the temporal uh, area of the skull, and so what you see happening is people people will create a a portrait that just looks kind of like a boxy kind of shape um, for the face. That happens when we start out, but uh, it's hard to get away from that unless we go back and we just start thinking about the basics of drawing in this mechanical process that we're involved in using line to create things how that really works and so that's what we're doing in the portrait prep course and by the way if you'd like to be a part of that whenever we open that back up uh, you can go to cpcourse.link slash prep prep is what that is and there's a wait list out there for that but anyway let me let me answer this specifically i think the best thing to do and don't laugh if if this isn't something you've tried, is this is going to sound silly, it's going to sound simple, but I think it's the best way to start, is to draw shapes. You start drawing simple shapes, like a triangle, like a sphere, like a square, or a box, any kind of boxes. And then you start learning how light works, and then you start looking at the differences in line, line value, and then a value scale, those kind of things. And then you study uh, the things that are tried and true, uh, like the Riley method, uh, the Asaro head. You look at these things that have been uh, done in the past and that are still taught at uh, good atelier schools, where you're learning the shapes of the face, you're learning uh, the skull, you're learning where all these things go, where the position of all of these things are in relationship to all the other features of the face. I think that's where you start. I have a few steps. My first step, when I have a student who comes to me, they're brand new. Let's say they've never worked in colored pencil before. So I'm just going to start from there and then you can kind of pick where you would fall within this. But I say, if you've never worked with colored pencil before, I'm going to have you do two things on your first lesson. One, you're going to make these little triangles that are maybe... I don't know, three quarters of an inch high, half an inch high, and two to three inches wide. So these little, did I say triangles? Rectangles. I know my shapes. Um, you're going to make these rectangles. They're kind of long and skinny. 
And what you're going to do is I want you to take two or at least two values, possibly three, and fade. Since you want to do portraits, let's take skin tones. Take some of those skin tones, so maybe light flesh, cinnamon, caput mortem that I never say right, and white. And I want you to fade from the darkest value up to the lightest. And you need to learn to blend those colors smoothly. You need to have the control of being able to blend from light to dark or dark to light, whichever direction. Usually I, I start students from dark to light in that case or start at the dark end and then get lighter as they go. That's Step one, you do a few of those to where you feel a bit comfortable with it. The next step is to draw spheres. So you just take a circle and I want the student to fade that. So you've got where it fades from, it looks like a sphere. It's not just a circle. It's shaded like a moon shape on one side and then you've got the light spot, but you're drawing in a sphere. If you can learn to shade, ease, you know, really smoothly circles, or I'm sorry, spheres, and then the flat rectangles, the entire face is built up of mostly different types of circles, but I mean that rounded feel. So that's step one, get to where you're comfortable with those two. Step two, the next time the student comes to class, I have them draw roses assuming that they're not freaked out and like, oh my gosh, I hate flowers. I don't want to draw them. I like to start students with roses because if you can understand the fold of the flowers, and you could even do like a peach and white rose or something that's a little bit closer to flesh tone, so you can kind of practice those, but whatever you're interested in, practicing shading curves where the, the flower petal at the base would fold up and curve in and then fold back out, understanding where to put the shadows and highlights. All of what you learn on a rose will be applied to a portrait, but it's way less scary and way easier to make a rose look good than a portrait. So again, I'm talking about somebody who is brand new to colored pencil. They're just getting started with this. They've not really worked with people before. So I get them to where they do at least one piece with a rose. Ideally, I'd say three or four roses. And you know, they don't have to worry about the background. Just, you know, work on the rose, work on the petals, learn to shade smoothly and get it blended like you would want your skin tone because it's a very similar texture that you're going to want. My next step when we move on from there is to do studies. Do a study just on an eye, just on a nose, just on the mouth. Don't worry about the whole face yet. We'll get there. But you worry about those little areas because one of the things that people have a hard time doing is our brain tells us, I know what a face looks like. We look at people all the time. I don't need to pay attention to my reference photo. You need to break it down into smaller sections as you're working. And if you're really just working on one eye, one nose, but if you're working on one little piece at a time and understanding the little details, it makes it easier when you put them all together. So my next step, if somebody really is new at portraits and hasn't been sketching in them at all, would be have them trace a person 10 times, then I want them to freehand it once. And this is something they do at home on their own when watching TV or whatever, just to kind of practice. This is just an added tip. It's not really a part of my steps, but trace 10 times, freehand one time. And the freehand part is important because I don't think the goal of tracing is to forever have to trace everything. The goal is to start forcing your brain to see things accurately because so often, if you're having a hard time with portraits, so often, our, like I was saying before, our brain takes over and is like, I know what an eye looks like. I don't need to look at that reference photo. I've got to memorize it. We really don't. So if you make yourself trace it and then you freehand it, trace it and then freehand it like that. But I usually say trace it about 10 times. You can do five times if you really want. But that will really, really help you so that you, if you have done these previous steps, when you get to doing the actual portrait, it's not going to be quite as overwhelming. You've kind of got a nice foundation for the skills that you're going to use on a portrait. So that is what how I usually start people who have no experience with colored pencil and have no experience with portraits. That's very good. Um, there's nothing you said that was different than what we're doing in the portrait prep course. So I, I 
appreciate all of that. Now, and the other thing about this is every time you look at a feature or a face or anything within portraits, uh, yeah, and I, I don't – we're not starting with colored pencils at all because it's, it's a bad place to start. If you're brand new to colored pencil, because that can come later, you want to look at every single face and every single feature like it's a puzzle piece and like you've never seen that before. Look at it in an abstract way. Yes. And think about it as an abstract thing that it has two parts. It has shadow and has light. And then think about how those two things will fit together. And then in relationship to the rest of the face or the head. Because the minute, just like Lisa said, the minute you say, oh, that's an eye. Know what an eye looks like? You stop looking at it and you stop seeing it. And you will not be able to render it correctly because... We don't know what that that eye looks like because we've not seen it in that particular light before. It's brand new to us. Every single thing we draw, and that, that proves true for anything that you Yeah. Do. And if you're really having trouble, too, as far as looking at ab- more as an abstract shape, flip it upside down. Flip your piece yeah. and flip your reference photo upside down, and it forces right. you to see things more as they are because our brain goes, wait, 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 what? What is yeah. this? Yeah, definitely. Or even on 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 its side, you know, put it if it's a vertical type of uh, drawing, um, you know, if with yeah. a face, you know, put the face on the side, something like that. You know, always keep your photo reference if you're using the reference, which I highly recommend. Use the reference, but always keep that in the same orientation as your drawing. So if it's if your drawing is on its side, make sure you turn the reference on its side. If it's upside down, the same. All right. You know what, Lisa? We always forget this. We're going to remember today. (laughs) We're going to talk about our good friends over there at Audible. And Lisa and I have a couple of books that we're about to read that we've been talking about. There's a couple of them here. One of them is by Jeff Goins, and it's called Real Artists Don't Starve. I've heard a lot about this book, and I'm real excited to start reading this one. And I'll get to do that while I'm driving to work because I'm going to be listening to it in the audio version of it from Audible. So I'm real excited about that. What's that other one, Lisa? It's The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, now that's another really good book. I can't wait to listen to that. I have them both in my wish list. I've got some credits. So I'm going to be listening to that while I paint coming up here really soon. I'm really interested. We'll we'll be talking a bit with you guys about it after we've read them. Yeah, definitely. What we thought of them. Or if you've already read them, let us know over at the Colored Pencil Podcast. We'd love to hear what your thoughts were on it. We would. And look, guys, this this first book, if you want to get one of these for yourself, you can do that. And it's on us. Go over to audibletrial.com slash podcast. Sign up for the 30-day free trial there on us. That first book will be free and you get to keep that forever. So that's a really good deal. Only if you've never already gotten a free one. Should throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. We're not actually going to buy you a book if you've already gotten one, <laughs> but if you never have, you can get your yeah. free trial. And if get you don't have, <laughs> if you don't have an account, yeah. If you're signing up brand new, then yeah, that book's on us. So, all right. So, if you have a question, we would love to hear that. You can enter that question into a box over there at sharpenedartist.com/slash/q&a. And I think that all that's required is like your name and maybe your email address, something like that. So, and we'll read it on the show and we'll give the best answer that we have. And you can also interact with us on Facebook in the Colored Pencil Podcast group. Reach out to us anytime, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. Lisa is on Twitter at Lockery. I'm also there at Sharpened Artist. 
And this is a weekly show. It comes out every single Monday. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. 